Welcome, everybody. This is For the Love of Money, where we are making you unapologetic about your pursuit of success by sharing the tools, tips, and stories of those who have already made it. My name is Chris Harder, and each week I will bring you incredible guests in order to prove that when good people make good money, they do great things. Welcome back, everybody, to another amazing episode of For the Love of Money. I'm really excited today because I get to sit down with Adrienne Dorison. She is this ridiculously successful entrepreneur who helps businesses double their results, but with half the effort. How cool is that? I mean, who wouldn't want that? And she does it through her business operations consultancy, Lean Growth Group. Now, even better than that, though, she is super passionate about helping entrepreneurs earn more to give more. And that matches everything that we are all about on this show. As a matter of fact, she teaches you how to build giving into the DNA of your business right away, not once you make it, and how that makes you more successful in the long run. She shares an incredible story how she paid off almost $50,000 in debt so that she could make the transition from corporate America into entrepreneurship. And we do a deep dive into what that transition was like. You know, how do you successfully go from that traditional safe job into having your own business. She shares a great story about her biggest failure when building her business. And then we even get into a very important conversation about the increasing role of these successful women entrepreneurs who are becoming the primary breadwinners in their households and how to make that successfully work in your relationship. As a matter of fact, she gets really vulnerable and she addresses how this affects the sex lives of so many women in power today. And so get ready, listen up, because this episode has so much value. I'm really excited for you to hear it. Adrian, thank you so much for being on. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, you know what? I, it's a privilege for me to have you. I think one of our listeners connected us at first. Is that how we got connected? Yeah, isn't that cool? Like that, to have someone who listens be like, I want to hear this person. That's that makes super me feel cool. Good. That's super cool. And you have like an epic story that I can't wait for everybody to hear. So I am totally jacked for today. Now, typically, here's how it goes. I've learned that the listeners love to get to know a little bit about you before they get to know all the awesome information that you have to share with them. So in a few sentences, right, there's the challenge. How would you yeah. sum up who is Adrian Dorson? Mm. Adrian Dorison is a business operations consultant who stemmed from the corporate world, who now owns her own business. Uh, she is a giver. She puts giving at the center of everything that she does. She's a dog lover, a CrossFitter, uh, workout junkie, um, who's married and has two pups living in Florida. So that is like the quick and dirty um, of who I am. Obviously, there's there's a, a lot more to get to that point, I believe. <laughs> you know, one of the things I love about your response is just how much of a giver you are. And that like, you know, when you only have like three sentences to describe yourself, that is one of your sentences that that speaks volumes about who you are. And, and that's the kind of people that we have on this show. And one of the reasons I'm so um, excited to talk to you. Now, what was that transition like from corporate America to entrepreneurship? Because we have a lot of listeners that are like one foot in, one foot mm -hmm. out. They're kind of in the middle of that right now. And I went through that too. I'm curious to yeah. get your take on that transition. And I was the same way. I, I am a, what I, you know, what I would 
define as a calculated risk taker. Like I'm not jump all in or take the leap, so to speak. I think the leap looks very different than, than what it looks like in our minds. Um, because the leap took me about six months to actually make from being in the corporate world, uh, to starting my own business. And so what I did was I actually started my business on the side of that corporate job and kind of made sure that I liked doing this work, um, in this capacity, because I think that's a, a big, challenge that people, you know, take the leap too early or think that they like something and in theory they do, but then in practice and and in action, it's not what they, it's not as sexy as they expected it to be. So I was doing this work on the side of my corporate job. And at that same time, I knew it was really important for me to financially get out of my student loan debt before I left the corporate job, because the corporate job kind of provided me this stability uh, in a sense, um, that I wasn't sure at this point my business would. So I wanted to pay off all of that debt. And I had just under $50,000 of debt at that point. I had about $48,000. And the other thing that really inspired me to pay off that debt right then was my now husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, said he was always really good with finances and I wasn't. And he said, oh, well, when we get married, I'm just going to go ahead and pay off all your debt. And I about had a heart attack um, because I was like, no way. I feel I felt like I should pay for my sins, right? Like I should I should be the one paying that off. And so it kind of just encouraged me to get focused on paying that off while I was taking that leap from that corporate job. And so it all happened a lot faster than I expected. But once I had paid off that debt, I think I would have stayed at that corporate job a lot longer than I needed to. But um, my job found out, and I was never hiding my business from my job, but they they more formally found out that I was you know, running a blog and running this business. And, and my, my VP and mentor at the time kind of called, called me on the phone as he was at headquarters and, and he was asking me like, is this your, you know, they found a blog post and someone like put it on one of my VP's desks. That was, that was someone's way of telling on me. Um, and he said, is this your two week notice? And I was like, well, I wrote that blog post three months ago. So no, <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm performing at both of these things really well. Um, and I wasn't planning to make that leap, but it did, the universe kind of like nudged me like, Hey, you can, you can do this. Cause I think we will all like stay longer than we really need to, because there's never going to be that perfect moment. So I think it was, it was hard of course. And there was fear and there was, uh, the unknowns and the uncertainties, but my goal was, was never to actually replace my corporate income. And this is always really fascinating for some people who they're like trying to replace their corporate income. And I was like, my goal is just to make sure that I can pay my expenses in my life. And so since I was already paying off the debt, I had my expenses down to a point where it wasn't going to be like I literally, I was also living in the middle of nowhere, Alabama. So keep that in mind. Um, I think I needed like $1,600 a month in order to quit that corporate job and just create the space for myself to do something that I loved. Right. So it was scary, but I knew that it was moving me in the right direction. And I, and at that point, um, there was no, there was no turning back because I knew that I had the confidence in myself. Even if this business business didn't work out, I could do something else. But once I realized that my dream wasn't to stay at that corporate job anymore, I couldn't, try to like fake it <laughs> for I totally 10 more get years, it. I totally you know? get it. I, you know, 
quick question. Why did they have such a problem uh, with your corporate America job with you having a blog? Um, that's a great question. I think that that's, that is, um, fairly common that there's like the threat in the corporate space that if you're, if you have a side business or if you have a side hustle, uh, that you are going to leave at some point. And so they want to be fully prepared for that, that they wanted to make sure that they left me before I left them type of relationship. And I actually think that's a major disservice that companies do because this, it's like an extracurricular, right? It's like me expressing myself in, in other ways. And I think that corporations or companies that allow their employees to, to do that freely are only going to become more engaged in their role and, and yes, develop new skills and things that their blog is allowing them to do. So I think it was just a threat to them because I was kind of targeted for, you know, VP, C-suite level material very quickly, especially because I was one of the only females in our division. And so for me to be moving up quickly, they wanted my focus to be on what I was doing there. And so my, you know, my perspective was always like, well, if I'm performing here, what does it matter what I'm doing in my spare time, whether I'm watching TV or running a side business, what do you care? <laughs> right. But they wanted all of us. And so I think that that just was a threat to their, their growth. And they didn't want me to leave before they had an opportunity to replace me. It's so funny. I would agree with your perspective. I'd rather have somebody, you know, working for me that is also engaged in developing their mind and doing research and having a blog, as opposed to just going home and watching TV and vegging out. Like you're going to be a <laughs> right. sharper employee when you have the other hustles going. So totally. you mentioned that you were afraid to, for, of the transition. You were afraid to leave corporate mm -hmm. America and, and go off on your own. And you got that loving nudge a little bit. What were you most yeah. afraid of? Like, why do we stay in bad jobs so long? Yeah, I think, you know, there's so much more opportunity to be seen and to fail when it's like you as a solopreneur versus me on this large corporate team. Like anything that I did on my corporate team, while I could be doing, you know, the best job in the company or not so much, like I could be doing the worst job and at least I can like hide behind other teams or other uh, things for, for at least a, a certain number of months before my next review or even a year in some places. Right. Um, as well as the whole mindset of this business being me, a personal brand or like me delivering the work versus a team or a corporation. And I think that just requires a lot of, uh, vulnerability and, uh, visibility and putting yourself out there again and again and again. And there will be a ton more opportunities to fail. Um, and I talk about this to my husband all the time because he is not entrepreneurial and he is always like, Oh, this didn't work out. So I guess I should go do something else. And I'm like, how many times have you seen me like literally fall flat on my face in this business, but know that I have to get back up. And so I think that it's always scary in the beginning because you're wanting it to be perfect. And then once you have, like, you kind of need that first flop, you kind of need to like fall off that bike. Like I'm a triathlete. And so everyone always tells, tells you that like, you're going to fall off your bike. Like you're going to have a crash. And so you almost just want to like get it over with <laughs> because it's like, then you can get back up and realize it's not that bad. You know how to deal with this. Whereas in the beginning, there's so much fear and, and like pressure built up around that. Um, that like once I had my first crash and burn in my business and it, it was on, like something so minor, but at the time feels really big. Um, then it was easier for me to see like, okay, I can do this. 
Uh, but you really have to trust yourself. And that's scary for so many people because you're stepping into trusting yourself, whereas previously you could trust an organization, so to speak. Yeah. What was one of your first big crash and burns? Oh my gosh. So I would say one of my very first ones was that I was going to host a live event for um, some of my clientele. And I tried to sell this live event before really building a big enough audience. Like my one-on-one practice, my consultant work was booked fully. Um, and so I had this like false sense of I can launch a live event. Uh, so I tried to do that and I put, thankfully I I only spent cash on this, but I I spent about $11,000 like securing an event venue. And I did it in New York, which is like the most expensive place to do that. Uh, built a website for this specific event. I was in a partnership on this event. We were co-hosting it and we'd launched this thing. We had like all these webinars leading up to it. And we just didn't really market it effectively to the, like we didn't niche down well enough on it um, or really have the audience that we needed to sell this thing. And we sold zero tickets. And so basically I lost like <laughs> $13,000 in one hit. Um, such a and good was, story though for people to hear, right? Cause that's that real. The first one. No, that was real. And literally there was like, I, my husband like still reminds me. He's like, remember when you were like face down crying in your bed because you were just like, you know, feeling like you're not cut out for this. Like I should just go back to work. Like <laughs> nobody likes me. Why didn't they buy? Like, who do I think I am? Like literally all of those things. <laughs> um, and then as time went on, I was able to look back and, and do really a lessons learned or like a debrief of this because if we just blow past it, I think, and, and not look back and say, but what could I learn from that? Then it is just a total failure and a loss. But that actually influenced like so many things that I teach my clients and so many things that I uh, shared with them that, that showed them that like, yeah, I'm human and I failed too, but here's what we can learn from this, right? <laughs> like you don't have to learn from your own mistakes, just learn from mine. And I publicly shared that. And I think that that really helped other people too, as well as myself after I you know, took a couple weeks and then I was able to debrief it. <laughs> you know, that's a great story. It's probably better though that you sold zero tickets instead of like two because then you actually yeah. have to do the event for the two people and it feels totally awkward, right? Totally. So it's better to go zero to... and you can hide. Oh my God, we were just trying to cut losses at that point because I was like, well, if I don't have to buy a plane ticket, then we're in a hotel room. Let's not do that, right? <laughs> like, so once it was like too close to, I was like, let's just call it. Like there's, there's not going to be anyone to that buys these tickets a week out. So it's a wash. Oh my God, I love <laughs> it. I love it. So I really want to dive into this story where you paid off almost $50,000 of debt in your transition from corporate America to working on your own. And there's a little spin in there. You actually gave money away while doing that. And it became a part of your business DNA. Tell us yeah. the story. Yeah. So it kind of, uh, started when, when I had that conversation with my, with my now husband who at the time we were just dating and I really felt like I had this like scarlet letter, uh, on me with, with the debt that I had and the bad credit that I had. Like, I think that a lot of people judge or, um, you know, feel, feel this embarrassment, this shame around like bad, bad credit, and debt. And so I felt like no one's going to want to marry me. No one's going to want to date me. And so when this question came up, like, Oh, how much like, we were talking about our finances, trying to do the, the adult thing in this relationship that we knew was moving forward. And when he, when he told me that, uh, 
you know, hey, once, you know, he's done very well, he didn't pay off, like he went to school, but didn't have any student debt, worked his whole way. And, and, um, and he was, he was going to use his like nest egg to pay off my debt. And I was like, oh my God, no. So that kind of triggered me to get my, get myself straight as it related to my finances. I was kind of ignoring them for a while. It was the first time in my life with this corporate job that I was actually making any money. It was like the first time in my life that I felt like I had any money that I felt like I could actually splurge on the almond butter over the peanut butter. Right. So, um, I was doing that and I was spending money that I had, but at the end of the month I was like, I don't really have that much left. Right. I was still living paycheck to paycheck, which is very normal for people in America, um, to be living paycheck to paycheck, even though you're making fairly decent money. And I had this like, um, about, must have been about five to six hundred dollar student loan payment, and I was just paying the minimum, and I was paying the minimum, and it, and the the interest was racking up so quickly that I really was doing creating no dent in this. I was doing no damage to paying that down. And so when he had that conversation with me, I was like, I need to I need to look at my numbers. And so I created myself a budget, and I looked at what was going out, and it was appalling, and it was scary. Um, but once I did that, I realized that I could actually pay off that student loan debt, which was a 28 year repayment plan. I thought that like my kids were going to, you know, know me when I had that (laughs) debt, we'd be going to their college, you know, (laughs) exams with, with my debt. Um, and that's really normal for people. But once I, once I looked at the numbers, I was actually going to be able to pay it off just with my corporate income within one year, like if I got really aggressive and I'm talking really aggressive, so this might not be possible for everyone, but it is possible for you to shorten that down. If you're currently just paying the minimums on, on your, on your payments, whether it's student loans or credit cards. How so aggressive? I was like, how aggressive I would like every, everything that wasn't a necessity in my life was going towards this, this debt. Right. So, uh, I was, you know, making decent money in my corporate job. Almost, I would say I was making around probably 70,000 at that time. Um, and I was putting at least, like I said, my expenses were super low at the time, but that was because I got them to that point. We, we were in a position, I was not living with my husband at the time, but we were in a position where my rent was fairly low. And what else did I really need? I needed food. Um, I actually had a company vehicle, so I was not paying that. Um, and so I was like, if, if there's ever a time I need to pay off my debt now. And so the bulk of that income every single month for my corporate job was going towards that debt. And from and I have my numbers somewhere. It's been like 3 years now and I'm I'm happy to share those too if you want those in the show notes or anything. But um from from there I also knew that like I was a really inconsistent giver in my life. And so I went through Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University class. That's what kind of helped me figure out like where do I need to be putting this money? How much do I need to be spending? Where am I spending unconsciously is kind of how I think of it. Like I would go to the store and just buy things because I could or, you know, pick up a few extra things at Target and then $200 later. And I was doing that frivolously. I wasn't really spending with intention. And so I really got serious because I was like, if I could pay off this debt in a year, like I can get what I would call like, uh, like living, living on my like bare necessities. Like I can do that for a year. Like if it's going to allow me to have and have ownership over my money for the rest of my life, like heck yeah. 
So I started giving at the same time because I knew that that was going to connect me to something outside of myself. When I felt like at the time I felt like, Oh, this is so sacrificial. Like my life is like, all I have is, you know, a roof over my head and food and I'm not spending on really anything else at the time. Um, it made me connect with the idea that there was people out there that had a lot less than me at that point. And I felt really grateful for that. And so it was important to me to be giving at the same time I was trying to pay off debt. And everyone was like, you're crazy. Couldn't you pay off the debt faster if you stopped giving? And I was giving 10% of my uh, income at that time. And I, I said, yeah, maybe, but I really think that this is going to ground me in, in, and, and really help me focus on finishing this out and really finishing this debt repayment and being able to give even more generously once I'm done with this, because like, who am I to say that I have nothing? And I think it's important for, for the giving to also come like to yes, come from the financial space, but also to come from like going out into the community and really seeing what's happening with that money or seeing people that you can be serving, like just with your heart and your hands. Um, because it just really grounds you in how much you do have. Uh, so once I started that, I also at this point started my side business and I hadn't calculated my debt repayment with that. I was just, you know, focused on growing the business on, on the side of, of this corporate job because it was like a side hustle that would help me bring in some more cash flow. And my commitment to myself was anything that I make in the side business is also going to go towards that debt repayment. So I was really lean on, on how I grew that business. I was bootstrapping it for sure because I wanted to be pouring everything onto that debt. And it went from a 28-year repayment plan to a one-year repayment plan with just my corporate job. And then once I added on this side business, it went down to six months and I paid off this debt in six months. And then I was like really feeling free to leave that job comfortably because I had some money already being saved up. I had no debt. So my expenses were even lower. Um, and I had, then I had built this, this business that was bringing in cash flow. more. I was actually bringing in more money than my corporate job was being, bringing in at that time. This is fascinating. I, I don't want to skim over this because I really want people to catch it. Did we hear you right? You basically turned to giving during a time when most people would think that you have to save everything you can to get out of debt. You turned to giving in order to add a little bit of good feeling around something that otherwise might make you feel kind of shitty or broke the whole time. Right. Because that's what we do. We're like, oh, I'm on a budget. I hate this. My life sucks. Right. And I was like, no, Adrian, like you're choosing this because you have uh, really decided that paying off your debt is important. And I had already like really sat with that feeling of what it was going to be like to have no debt. And I think that's important because if you don't want that bad enough, like you're never going to actually follow through on the actions. So I had already like really felt like what it was going to be like that freedom of not having any debt. And so I knew that I had chosen this, right. I had chosen this path and I wanted to feel good the entire throughout the entire process and never feel like I was <laughs> depressed about it or I was honestly like so motivated and excited the entire time because I was able to be giving because I was, which is something was inconsistent before, right? Like yeah. to be consistent while I was paying off my debt and also like to, to see myself every single month, every single week, like whittling this debt away. I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm getting closer and getting closer and getting closer. Like it was, it was a real 
goal that could, I could see progress on every single month and week. And then, you know, really trying to make it a feel good experience for myself. Which you did. You, you almost made, you almost put yourself into the feeling of what wealthy feels like. And that is you're able to give and make impact at the same time as making financial progress. That's, yes. that's typically how people think wealthy feels like, Ooh, I get to make financial progress and give at the same time. Well, you created that feeling during your toughest moments, trying to get out, trying to get out of debt and during transition. That's really cool. It's a good lesson for everybody. Yes. So now I've got to kind of change the direction we're going a little bit because you were talking about how your husband at the time, mm -hmm. boyfriend, uh, was saying, mm -hmm. hey, I'll get you out of debt. And, and you didn't want him to do that. You wanted to get yourself out of debt. But now you are the main breadwinner at home. Is that right? And that's right. It's so funny how the funny. tables turn like that. Tell us about that. What's that like? Yeah. So, you know, once I had started, you know, I, I left my corporate job, I was growing this business and we lived in Alabama at the time. And about, um, about a couple months after that, my business was going well. And my, my husband was pretty miserable at his corporate job. We actually worked at the same corporation. That's how we met. Um, and he was pretty miserable there and he didn't want to not work, but he wanted to work more flexibly. Like our goal was to be location independent. We wanted to be able to live wherever we wanted. And at that job, he was kind of strapped to Alabama at the time, which was also not our choice. So, um, he left that he left, he was able to leave that corporate job for a job that paid about half of what he was making there, but he was now on a remote team. So my income kind of was the, you know, the, the jump start to us being able to do that. But also the paying off the debt was the jump start to us realizing that like making more money isn't how we want to choose to live our lives in terms of decisions and, and making ourselves happy. He knew that like he could take a 50% income cut and, and be happier by having that flexibility to like work from home as well as like be able to travel and, and live wherever we wanted. And so that was his first step. Um, and then as my business grew and grew, it grew by about 420% in the first year. So he was able to leave that job, that, that remote team job where he was working from home. And, and now he has like, um, a couple side things that he does, but, but really he's trying to figure out like what is next for him and because of my income, he was able to, to take that time and space. And so now I am the primary breadwinner of the family and I provide our, our income for our home. And that's been, um, an interesting shift and in transition. Right. And, and more so I would say, well, I wouldn't say more, so, I was going to say more so for him, but I, I think it's actually equal because now I'm having this experience of like what we think of as like the 1950s man who has the pressure of like financially supporting a family. And I understand so many different views on, on that and like what I'm experiencing versus like what he may have been previously experiencing. But from a, from a male perspective, I think that he feels like he needs to be the breadwinner or that's like where he, you know, provides value to our family. And so it's really required us to communicate so much more, um, about money, about our roles in this house, about how we add value to our relationship and how that does not have to do with money, um, either of us. And so that's been an interesting dynamic to, to navigate, especially because it was our first year of marriage. We're, we're newlyweds. <laughs> so yeah, I think incredible. that, 
yeah, I think it's like a, a topic that is, is going to become more and more common as women start earning and, you know, create like we're entrepreneurs are, are, you know, female entrepreneurs are growing way faster than male entrepreneurs at this point. And so I think that this is only going to become a, a bigger conversation, but it's not necessarily an easy road to navigate. Like it's, there are times when it's like, oh my gosh, there's so much financial pressure to be the breadwinner that I never have understood before. We're um, totally, by the way, in the time where yeah. so many women are rising up and kicking ass that yeah. this will be a more common situation, sometimes by choice, sometimes not by choice, right? Mm -hmm. The economy is changing so quick right now. So that being said, what's your advice to couples that wake up one day and find themselves in this position? How do you make it work? I would say you have to communicate. Like you have to talk about how you're feeling uh, openly so that the other person can really understand where you're coming from. And, and because we're all learning these like new family uh, societal dynamics, right? Like never before has it been, you know, the, the situation typically for the female to be the primary breadwinner, but then also like how do your family roles, um, influence that or influence your feelings or like now am I also still responsible for traditional housewife duties and, and being okay with like the, the masculine and the feminine roles that we play and knowing that we can both take those on. But I think that that's an important, the, the most important thing is communicating like how we're feeling and figuring out like how to feel more of the way we want to feel. Because I know that this also, it, it, it has had an impact on our sex life. Um, if you want to go there, right. Because like, I'm so in my masculine, um, with both my business and I, and I feel the pressure to be like working and making money and, and like, I'm on overdrive. This business is growing yet. He's in more of the feminine roles in some situations in our household, like the cooking or the cleaning. And, and that's just as supportive of me doing my work but also puts us in this like weird uh, sexual dynamic that I need to get out of my masculine in order to uh, be able to be intimate. Right. So it's like, you have to communicate and learn those things. Otherwise you'll just avoid and resent each other. <laughs> That's fascinating. I actually see a trend in all these powerful women. Cause I get to run in a circle with all of them, my wife and all of mm -hmm. her friends. And they all talk about that a lot and they all experience that quite a bit when they have these huge thriving businesses, there's so much in their masculine in order to make them thrive that then they all feel like they struggle getting back into their feminine. Speak yeah. to any of the women listeners in regards to that. So number one, I, I feel you because that was, that was and is me. I would, will not publicly state that I'm over that journey. I think it's a, it's an ongoing um, consciousness and effort toward if that's a priority to you. And it's definitely a priority to me to like figure it out. Right. Because I thought that there was something wrong with me. And that's why I think it's important for me to talk about this openly and, and be able to share, you know, about my, my sex life or lack thereof sometimes, because it's like, I had to figure out like, is there something wrong with me? Like on a, on a physiological level, or am I just not making this a priority? Like, what do I need to do to make this a priority? Okay. Here's the things that actually 
put me into a space where I can be turned on. Otherwise, I'm j- I just want to go work more. And I hear that that's like very, very common in my circles too of people that would or women that would like be like, yeah, but I would just rather go work than have sex. And I'm like, yeah, I get you, but that's not going to really pour into your relationship long term the way that you want it to. So in the short term, you might feel like working, but you also really do want to nurture that relationship. And so it's it's kind of being conscious around that and and making that a priority. Uh, otherwise you'll look up three years from now and be like, wow, I really should have, I should have, you know, taken some time for that. And so figuring out what you need to get into your feminine, whether that is, uh, not trying to have sex right after a long day of work, right? Like give yourself a couple hours to like do something that makes you feel good or makes you feel relaxed or maybe get a massage or have your husband give you a massage, right? Like get, get out of the work before you try to go there. Cause otherwise it's just going to be frustrating. And also for me, like it was important to know that, um, I always, and this goes for everything, not just sex, but like, I try to take action from the place of how I want to feel. So even if I don't feel like doing it in the moment, I know that as soon as I, like, I always say that the hardest part of going for a run is tying my shoes because like at that point I'm like, Oh, I don't want to go for the run. But as soon as I'm like in it, I love it. Right. So it's like taking action from the place of how you want to feel, which is the same for like your sexual relationship or, you know, your business relationship, the things you need to do in your business or your money, right? Like taking action from the place of how you want to feel about your money, not from that like immediate gratification that you have right now. That's fascinating. So that's one of the best analogies I've ever heard. I love it. So kind of shifting gear. And by the way, thank you for sharing. Cause it's a huge epidemic that a lot of people, as we shift into all this women entrepreneurship, a lot of people are suffering with. So, yeah. you know, huge props to you for sharing because it's a very important thing to share. Um, what let's shift, uh, gears just a tiny bit here. Obviously part of your business's DNA is that you give to meaningful causes. Matter of fact, you've given $120,000 in two years to meaningful causes. How did you work that in? How did that become a thing? Yeah. So that's like my, that's my pride and joy and something that I, that I really want to encourage other entrepreneurs to do is start like baking that into the business model. And and I say that because like the DNA, it was literally something that we did from day one. It was just a non-negotiable that, um, 10% of anything that we're making is going right back into causes that we want to support. And so you can build a business model and and a pricing structure and an operating budget that supports that. And you just have to be intentional about it um, because it can't happen after, right? It's, it's never going to, you're never going to have enough if it only waits until, okay, we'll do it, you know, at the end of the month and we'll see if we have anything left over. You're never going to have anything left over if you haven't designated it to uh, something that's meaningful to you. And I actually think that um, part of part of the challenge for some entrepreneurs is they're not comfortable with earning. They're not comfortable with saying that they want to make a lot of money. And I'm really comfortable at this point. And I had this like aha moment for myself of like, I want to make a lot of money because I want to be able to give a lot of money away. And entrepreneurs in the service space or like people that are like really focused on generosity through their businesses or, or heart centered, you know, business models that they really love serving people. They tend to 
just want to give or give their services away. And they think that that's, you know, in service of the people that they're, that they're delivering to when in actuality, you're actually robbing so many other people of the good you could be doing if you were charging adequately and building that into your business model. And it doesn't have to be 10%. So I've worked with businesses who are making seven figures in, in revenue and still feeling like they are not making enough to start giving. And I'm like, what if we just started with $1 a sale, just $1. And they're like, all right, that feels doable. But sometimes they don't want to do it if it's not like perfect, right? They're like, but I want to be giving 10%. I'm like, we'll get there. Let's baby step this, right? Like if it's not baked into the business model to begin with, how can we get creative with where you are now and just start with like 1% increase, like just a 1% change um, to start building you up. And then the next year, maybe we add on another percent, right? Because um, just waiting until whenever someday is never going to get you there. It's going to be, you have to bake this in as a habit. And so we always did this as like an automated payment. It comes out, um, every single month, 10% of what we're making, because I just don't even assume that it's, that it's our money. It's not my money, right? Like it's the cause that I support. I support a a nonprofit and, and that's their money. (laughs) So I don't even look at it as if it's coming into my bank account. I don't, allow it to be allocated for expenses. And if there, for some reason, uh, it, we're not going to cut our expenses or something. First of all, we have cash flow, but second of all, I'll go sell something else if I need to, to make that work. And that's just my commitment to, uh, the thing that gives me the most joy, which is giving. I love that. You know, I've had a lot of people on the show that have made some variation of the statement that if you do not have social cause built into your business model, then you're not going to make it in the future because all the millennials and all the Xers demand this of Mm -hmm. the companies they shop from. What are your thoughts around that? I mean, it's a proven statistic that, um, they want, like, it's like, it's like 70 or 80% of them. Like if you are company a, And you are offering the exact same services or product as company B, but company B gives back 80% or whatever this like statistic is, you can look it up. Um, It's around 80%. They're going to go with company B just because they are supporting a social cause. So this is important to people. And this is also why I preach that if you are giving, a lot of people want to do this in hiding. They want, they want to keep their, you know, the, the fact that they give quiet because they believe that it's a marketing tactic or they believe that it's gross. Um, you can keep your personal giving anonymous. I think that's one of the most beautiful things is to be able to anonymously give your business needs to be, uh, openly giving and you need to be showcasing that because your customers are making different choices. They're going to go with company a, or they're going to go with company B based on what they're seeing. And if they're not seeing that you're giving or, um, they're not seeing that you're aligned with causes that also align with your values. It helps them make a decision. Are these values that I'm also aligned with? Perfect. I know this person is for me or this business is for me. Um, and so you're giving them an opportunity to make a better decision for themselves to work with you. If you also, if you believe you're the best at what you do and now you're getting to give more because you have more people doing business with you. So I think that this is an important thing to share as well as be doing because our customers are making those choices, whether they're doing it consciously or not, they might not even be doing it consciously, but if they see that they're probably, 
subconsciously making that choice. That's an amazing reason to not give in the dark. Cause I always call it, you know, I always say when you give in the dark, you can't inspire anyone else to give. Like yes. you forget to remind them by setting the example. And, and I actually did something called the seven day generosity challenge where I made people post their giving on Instagram for seven days. And I gave away prizes for people that did I love it. because I wanted to make it more normal. I wanted to normalize mm -hmm. people talking about the giving that they do in order to create those chain reactions. I actually just um, was in a mastermind and Scooter Braun was one of our teachers. He's the manager of Justin Bieber and everybody else. Mm -hmm. And Oh, I'm a Justin Bieber fanatic. Awesome. So, so we asked, I asked Scooter, um, you know, I forgot how it came up, but basically, do you give privately or, oh, I know because his wife is the founder of Fuck Cancer, the foundation mm -hmm. and his brother. And his brother is Pencils of Pencils Promise. Pencils of Promise. Right? Yep. Yeah. And so I said, you know, do you tell all of your artists to give in the dark or uh, to give out loud? How does that work? And he said, my advice to every one of them is to always uh, give 50% that everyone can see and give 50% privately. And mm. I thought that was kind of a cool mix. Yeah, I like that. And yep. I think, you know, coming from the, you know, for my personal giving, that's private, right? Like I do that through my owner's pay, but through my business, I do that publicly. That's awesome. What a perfect mix. Where'd your generosity come from, by the way? How'd this end up in your DNA? Oh my gosh, this is like such a... <laughs> really funny, funny, not so funny story. Um, so my first experience with giving was I was about eight years old and I had a pretty traumatic childhood. My mother was an alcoholic, abusive, um, relationship that I, that I was in with her. And, um, she actually had like a couple DUIs and she had to go to jail on the weekends because she had custody of us. And at the time, like when she would go away to jail on the weekend, I would go to one of her friend's houses and stay the weekend. And one of the weekends that I was staying with her friend, her friend was like, oh, we're going to go do this, this giving thing. And I was like, I don't know what I was like, eight years old. I was like, I don't know what we're doing. And she's like, yeah, Tony Robbins is the guy who runs it. And it's called the Thanksgiving Basket Brigade. And we're going to pack up bags for people who um, aren't going to be able to have Thanksgiving dinner. And I didn't know who Tony Robbins was at the time. And, and come to find out 20 years later, I was like, oh my God, that Tony Robbins, <laughs> right? Like <laughs> now it's like full circle. I'm like, wow. Um, so I was involved in that experience. And at a time when I felt like unsafe, unloved, uncared for, like I thought that I had it pretty bad. I was able to really find joy in giving to other people. And what I found through that day of like going to people's homes and giving them a basket of food was that like the joy that I experienced through that giving was reflected back to me, you know, because they were experiencing joy by receiving and they were so thankful and I was experiencing joy by being able to give it. And so it just felt like this beautiful cyclical loop that, uh, was reflected to me. And I think that, uh, from, from then on, I just realized how, you know, how lucky I was even in, you know, not so great of situations and always was able to find joy and love and value, uh, all the things that I was missing. I was able to find those things by giving. Oh, that's awesome. What was one of your favorite moments ever of giving? And by the way, this is like a signature question. We ask everybody this yeah. and we always frame it so that, you know, it's meant to inspire other people with new ideas of giving. What's one of your favorite moments ever? 
I went to Africa this year with the nonprofit that I support. And which I one is that, Kent. by the way? Uh, it's the Adventure Project. So you can go to theadventureproject.org. Um, they're amazing and they support job creation in developing countries. So instead of giving handouts, we create jobs. And so I was, I had the opportunity to go with the founder who has become a friend and she invited me to go with them to see the work that was actually happening. And there is no greater experience than actually seeing um, the money or the finances that you've poured into people like in person, see their gratitude, see their appreciation um, for the job that they have. And it wasn't for me because they didn't actually know that I was a donor. We kind of keep those things private while we're there just so that we can get the full picture of what's going on. Um, but it was just really incredible and inspiring to see these women who had have nothing. Like when you think of like bootstrapping it here in America, it is very different than like bootstrapping entrepreneurship in Kenya. Um, and they are just so thankful to have a job that they can send their kids to school. They can pay for the school fees. They can pay for food. They just feel like so free. And I think that that's just a, a common human experience that we want to be able to have a job. We want to feel of value and to be able to go and meet and hug and kiss these people, you know, like was just the most incredible experience. And I've had that same experience, not just in Africa, but here locally too, when I'm giving and, and my dog is, is a literacy dog. And so we go and the kids read to him and I guess have those same feelings. So I don't want to say that you need to go to Africa to experience this. Like you can do this in your neighborhood. You just have to make it a priority and like really you'll have so much more empathy and um, connection with what you're doing. Mm, I love it. Lori and I are actually going to Guatemala with Pencils of Promise in a couple of weeks, and I can't freaking wait. You're going to love it. Yes, totally. Okay. Uh, before I ask you the last question, where can we find you? Like everybody after this episode is totally going to want to follow you, check in your stuff, get a hold of you. Where can we find you? Yes, they can go to adriandorson.com uh, is my website. And then I'm at adriandorson on all social media. Um, I'm, I'm primarily focusing on spending lots of time on Instagram right now. So find me over there. My stories, you can see my dog too. So not just waffles. <laughs> I love it. Dogs are the freaking best, aren't they? They're the best, yes. All right, last signature question. I love the different answers I get to this. Why should people be unapologetic about their pursuit of success and wealth? This is so easy for me because I believe that when you earn more, you can give more. And that is the greatest gift that you could give the world. Mm, I freaking love it. Short and to the point. Best, right. best, best ever. Thank you so much, Adrian. It's been awesome chatting with you. And you've just like delivered so much value, so much vulnerability, so many actionable things. Thank you on behalf of all of our listeners. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Thanks for listening. And if you loved this episode and know of someone else who is as successful as they are generous, please pass them on to me. It would mean the world to me if you help me get this cause and this message out to as many listeners as I can. So please, if you liked what you heard, it goes a long way if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. I'll be forever grateful. And until the next episode, cheers to your success. <laughs>